This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. In the early 70s, I remember a few pertinent influences on my life. I was nearing the finish of a Bachelor of Music degree and ready to move on to find my career. The Vietnam War was at an end, and Marvin Hamlish made history by receiving three Academy Awards in one year with his music for The Sting and The Way We Were. That included Best Original Dramatic Score, Best Original Song Score, and Best Original Song. His musical adaptation of Scott Joplin's The Entertainer made the movie The Sting as recognizable as Paul Newman and Robert Redford's Eternal Good Looks. And personally, I will never forget the melancholic but uplifting power of The Way We Were, sung by Barbara Streisand. In 1994, Mr. Hamlish would serve as musical director and arranger for her TV broadcast of Barbara Streisand, The Concert. This work was recognized with not one, but two Emmys. In fact, he and Richard Rodgers are the only composers to have ever won the Peacock, Pulitzer, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony Awards. The world loved the late Marvin Hamlish for his enduring style of luscious melodies. He was indeed the melody master. One of his first jobs was as rehearsal pianist for Funny Girl with Barbara Streisand. In fact, for those of you out there that did not know this, his first successful hit song written with Howard Liebling was Sunshine, Lollipops, and Rainbows. That was recorded by Leslie Gore and reached number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1965. We remember him for his smash theatrical hits like A Chorus Line, The Goodbye Girl, and The Sweet Smell of Success. But he is immortalized for us by offering up over 40 film scores. On September 28th, the Stamford Symphony is doing a tribute to celebrate the genius of Marvin Hamlish. This concert will be aided by the talents of the Kevin Cole Trio, singer-actor Marissa McGowan, vocalist Michael Mendez, and Caroline Stinson, who is principal cellist of the Stamford Symphony. The delights that night will offer us a glimpse into the genius of Marvin Hamlish and will be hosted by his wife, Terry Blair Hamlish, and it is my honor to have her with me today. This is a conversation that I'm very much looking forward to. So Terry Blair Hamlish, welcome to Center Stage. Thank you very much, Pam. I'm so honored to be here. This is lovely you're doing this, but let's talk about that intro, your voice. <laughs> I'm sitting here in tears. It's beautiful. Oh, great. I've got somebody crying from the beginning. You this do. is wonderful. I'm sitting here weeping before. <laughs> that usually happens later on, but we laugh too. But thank you so much. You are like Gorgeous. maybe... The second person, I think Betty Buckley mentioned that once. It's you know, incredible. You know, saying, but thank Moving. you. I appreciate that. Moved me to tears. <laughs> and that was with the London Philharmonic. That was a concert in memory of Princess Diana after her death, which was gorgeous. Uh, it was pretty amazing. But thank you. Gorgeous. Thank you. Let's talk about that note. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. I had to wear tight shoes that night so to really get it out. You know, that's what we say in, in the music business. I'm telling you, high notes, that's where it comes from. Um, but Terry, I'm thrilled to have you here. I mean, what an honor. Mrs. Marvin Hamlish. It's an honor to be here. Wow. And we, we know that your husband was a, a giant amongst giants. I mean, in fact, he entered Juilliard pre-college at age seven. 
Apparently, he played his rendition of Goodnight, Irene, or I'm Yours, in as many keys as possible to thrill the adjudicators. Uh, what an interesting feat. I mean, and at seven years old, in everything I've read about Marvin Hamlish, he was precocious. He was a wunderkind. He was a prodigy. Totally. He was a genius. He was a child prodigy genius. It's easy to throw that word around these mm -hmm. days. Somebody says, mm -hmm. oh, they're a genius. Oh, they're smart. But geniuses mm. are in a separate category. And That's I'm right. not sure they come around all the time. And they have certain characteristics. And he was a genius. He was um, a child prodigy. And he was precocious. All those things are true. <laughs> was I just get the impression, you know, we've talked a little bit before this interview. And I, I just love your energy. You've got this fantastic aura. In fact, I would call you a sprite. Oh, Would that be right? Yes. I've never had anybody call me a sprite before. <laughs> I'll take it. I want to be a sprite. <laughs> we have we have Terry Blair, uh, Blair Hamlish's friend, Dawn, with us. And would you confirm that, Dawn? That uh, she's a... Absolutely. Terry <laughs> is a sprite. I'm a sprite. Yeah. Now are. I know what I am. Uh, brilliant. She's a you sparkling can go... sprite. <laughs> I got a sparkling Thank sprite. You. I got an alliteration. Oh, brilliant. Yep. Sparkling Perfect. sprite. Okay. From what I have read, it seems that you and Marvin Hamlish were like a marriage made in heaven. I mean, it really, it sounds like the script of a movie, how you met. Can, can you share those details with us? It's funny you say that because there's a production company that wants to do it as a movie. I would think so. First of all, before people hear this, there are moments, the marriage in heaven, where he had his socks on the bathroom floor that <laughs> I wasn't so in heaven. But... People even, we would be on a plane or we would be having dinner and somebody would come over and say, here's two glasses of champagne on the house because you newlyweds. And we would look at each other and go, newlyweds? Are you kidding me? This is like 23 years in. <laughs> and there was nothing newlywed about it. But we apparently were so much in love that people could feel it. And they would always think we were just married. Oh, my God. And they would say, oh, you no, know, we want to celebrate this on Delta, you know, and we would be <laughs> sitting there and, and I would look at him and I go, are you kidding? We both look at each other and say, oh, no, no, no. We've been married 18 years. And they'd say, you're kidding. I think that um, I was very lucky uh, to be married to him because he was such a good man. And many things you don't realize and take for granted come into the forefront after someone um, leaves you. Hmm. And hmm. I remember immediately thinking that I'm not laughing as much. Oh. And I thought, oh, why, why, what's wrong here? Why aren't I laughing? Oh, right. The man that was making me laugh is gone. So the humor, I, I, he, always, he always made me laugh. If I was having a bad day, he'd laugh. He'd put on a show and, and you know, with chorus wow. singers and everything else, and he'd make me laugh my way out of it. I love it. Because his humor was contagious and his joy. I mean, we traded um, presents when we first got married. And when he was a little boy, they wouldn't let him play stickball on the west side of New York. And he found this <laughs> awful because they would say, oh, hands, fingers, you know, Juilliard prodigy. Right. You, and so he never got to play. So when he married me, I think his agent was horrified. I gave him the gift of playing with the New York Yankees at fantasy camp. 
And so he's the only person that was out there that his team would run out of the dugout when he'd be in the outfield going, don't catch it, don't catch it, <laughs> instead of winning, you know. And so Marvin would catch it, and he just thought that this was the greatest thing ever. How fun is I mean, that? he he was allowed to play ball, and he was having so much fun, and he loved his New York Yankees, and so that was great. And he gave me a trip to go see the Dalai Lama. Now, you can see our interests were a yeah. little different. A little yeah. Yeah, wide there. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so we went up, and so... So he said to the Dalai Lama, you know, um, he said, I walked up here and he breaks out into hello, Dolly, you know, this huge hello, Dolly. Of course, the Dalai Lama looks at him and says, see, this is joy. And I'm like, no, no, that's my husband. And he goes, this is joy. Everything I'd aspire to be, you know, all of a sudden he was in the eyes of the – then we had How to travel through Jammu, which is on the Pakistan border. And mm-hmm. there was a little bit of a skirmish, and people had guns, and they drug us out of the car, and they put these guns to our head. And we had our heads on the – on the press down against each other. And I'm thinking, this is it. I'm going to die. So I have oh to think, gosh. I have to think peace for the world or something good. <laughs> Marvin, on the other hand, is right. His head's right next to me. And he goes, hey, 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 honey. And I go, what? And he goes, I'm going to die now with him talking to me. And he goes, he goes, I don't think they know I wrote a chorus line here. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's when I, I'm going to hear right before I have my head blown off. The that's the kind of, of exactly. I don't think they knew I wrote a chorus line here. But I'm sure he, they did. Did he know. start to sing something? I mean, to get you yes. out of the skirmish? He was just started. He just got us out. It's it's like he just was this joy. He was a good person. He cared about people. He never said no. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As Barbara Streisand said, he never said no. And at the end of his life that he didn't know was going to be the end of his life, he always said to me, I wonder if people know that I don't say no unless there's a conflict. So he was always <laughs> doing things for other people, but not talking about it. Oh, okay. So he was okay. helping children that were sick. He was financing operations. There was a taxi driver who I got in outside our building in New York, and he said to me, you know, Marvin Hamlish lives in that building. And I go, really? I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm going to hear something here if I don't say anything. I love and he it. goes, he says, yeah. He goes, one day I pulled up here, and my son was sick, and he paid the bill. Really? Yeah. You were married to a good guy. Oh, if if when we look back on it, I mean, it, there would be people at the veterinarian which had a choice between they couldn't afford it. So they'd have a choice between, you know, giving their pet, um, you know, something that would help them with the pain or giving their pet something that would continue their life for cancer. But they didn't have both. Mm-hmm. And he would make sure it's paid for, but they would never know he did it. Oh, my never. Gosh. It was done anonymously. So he was an angel. Yeah, he really was. Yes. So it wasn't so so peculiar that he went with you to the Dalai Lama, you know? <laughs> maybe I mean, maybe you know? not, but it sure didn't beat his Yankees, let me tell you. So I think you guys met for a reason. There, There is no doubt here. Now, you were a broadcast journalist. Yes. Yeah? Yes. How did you meet Marvin Hamlet? I know, it's, it's the craziest story. I was in Los Angeles, of all places, and he was in New York. So we're talking about a big, wide, uh, you know, Life, length of, yeah. uh, of space there. And I had a housekeeper that came in that thought it was terrible that I was single and that I wasn't married and I wasn't having children. (laughs) And so she used to literally wave her mop at me and say, you need to go out and stop reading those books. 
So I was a little <laughs> like Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Right. You know, I was I was reading the books in Los Angeles. I was reading books and books and books. And she said, this is ridiculous. You're young. You need to go out. So unbeknownst to me, she told her sister that was the housekeeper of Marvin's best friend at the time. And the two sisters then ganged up and said, we need to go out. Somebody needs to go out. What about that piano player? <laughs> that, so, piano that piano player. player. Mm-hmm. So what? So what happened was <laughs> is that is that that piano player called me, and I was looking down my interview list, and I thought, I don't have Marvin Hamlish on here. What's this all about? You know. And then I looked at my housekeeper, and I thought, what is going on here? I you know. Love so this. the housekeepers fixed us up, and then. I finally called him, and and he he. This is the first words out of his mouth. He you know wasn't really impressed. He goes, "I hear you have a clean house." Oh my god! <laughs> what an opening line! Yeah, and I'm coming out to <laughs> conduct the Oscars or go to the Oscars and say you get a better date, Bruce Springsteen. He said, "You know, I, I'd go if I were you, but if you don't and you're not and you're available, we could go to lunch or something." And. It didn't make it to that, actually. It didn't make it to that because this was way, way in the future, and we started talking on the phone. Okay. And then we started missing talking on the phone to each other. <gasps> and, and you had never met? Never. Oh, my gosh. This, never. This is ridiculous. I mean, I knew who he was, but I didn't. And my girlfriend kept saying, well, the songs have to come from somewhere, and they're nice songs, so he's got to be a nice guy. <laughs> and meanwhile, you know, this is fast forward, but when I broke the news to my mother that I was getting married – my mother said, to whom? She said, oh, Marvin Hagler? Oh. <laughs> and then when I explained, no, he was a piano player, my mother said, just with his family needs, an out-of-work piano player. Oh, no. Yes. No. She did. She did. <laughs> Actually, Marvin Hagler, to me, sounds like a country western guy. But, you know, yeah. it could, yeah. I think she was thinking I was going into the wrestling uh, profession oh, or something or boxing or something this like that. quite something. Yeah. But continue how you met. Oh, so so what happened is is that I feel like we were on one of those late night shows, and you know you have your person over here, dog. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> here she goes. She's moving this right along. <laughs> so how so um, how we met is is that he was on the National Endowment for the Arts for mm-hmm. the president at the time in Washington D.C., and he was in a meeting, and <laughs> I was going to Cedar Rapids, Iowa for a consulting uh, person that had was looking at me to come back to New York and broadcasting. Okay. It was the winner. I go to Iowa, and he says to me, why don't you come on to New York, and we'll meet. And I must have felt like my life was going to change because I got nervous. I thought, oh, this is fun oh, on the phone. Yeah. This is sort of before Match.com, before sure. the Internet. And so he said, you know, just come on and meet, and we'll meet, and I'll come back. And so I went to the hotel, and I sat, and I thought, this is crazy. This is just crazy. I liked it the way it was on the phone. It felt Mm -hmm. safer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To make a long story short, he came back. He knocks on the door. I mean, I didn't know he had a rose in his hand. And he said, sight unseen, will you marry me? Through the door. Through the door. Oh, I had put a questionnaire that's now in the Library of Congress, if anybody wants to go over there and see it. And I pushed it under the door because I was nervous, saying, how do you spell Terry? T-E-R-R-E, T-E-R-R-Y. So Marvin used to make jokes on stage. He used to go, wow, what, it, what would have happened if I'd spelled it wrong? You know, he got them all right. But, you know, do you love the girl behind the door? You know, because I was nervous. I just wanted to break the uh, tension. And I said, yes. What a defining moment. Well, what happened when you opened the door? 
I was really happy because it felt like the voice had come to life. And he said mm-hmm. to me, you know, in my history of dating, I've used my eyes and not my ears. And this time I used my ears and I heard your soul. <gasps> oh, I'm verklempt. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Hmm. This was definitely made in heaven. Okay, Dawn's over here crying. We, we have to stop that. And here is this fairy tale marriage. You've got the, I've seen the pictures. You had the gorgeous dress. You had guests. I mean, uh, Roberta Flack singing the first time ever I saw your face. Wow, you really live. did your research. I'm not even sure. Yes, she um, did. Wow. I bet there wasn't a dry eye in the house. She did. We actually got married secretly before that. You I did? can't believe I'm telling you all these things in oh, Greenwich here today. Um, we did. We got married in the bottom of like a synagogue by Rabbi Galberman. And I think we got married on Marvin's mother's birthday, if I remember correctly. And so then he really, really wanted this wedding. He really wanted it. And bless his heart, everything he did, it was on Tavern on the Green. And then they went on strike. And then they took the musicians union with them. And so I was sitting with him. He was doing a concert in Dallas. And I looked at a travel agency and I saw a boat. And so I said, hey, Marvin, maybe things aren't so bad. Look, there's a crystal boat. We'll get married on a boat because we had to change it very quickly and mm-hmm. places mm-hmm. were already booked. And so we, <laughs> I said, don't worry, we'll be outside. It'll be closer to God and it'll be prettier. And so he went with it. And, um, yeah, he, he had amazing friends in the entertainment industry, as you know. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, he had this illustrious guest list on his side. And I had worked for ABC Sports, so most of my guys were felons or something else at that time. And, and your family from the Midwest. Yes, my family. From and my they're Midwest. chumming it with Liza Minnelli. They were. And, you know, it's incredible. My sorority sisters were really like, whoa, <laughs> this is big. <laughs> yeah. She's done okay. <laughs> they, were, they were really excited. I just, you know, wanted to get through it. But it was really beautiful. There's something so beautiful, Terry, about this whole conversation on the phone. Yeah, you've got to have some sort of film made about this. This is really rich. But but I've just got to ask, my next question has to be the obvious one. I mean, here you are, a broadcast journalist. You're thrust into this glitzy, and I mean top drawer, musical world. Mm. How hard was that for you in the beginning? Or was it just like, we're little kids. We're playing with this. This is great. Mm. I think in the beginning, um, the thing that made me realize it was the Oscars. Because I'd never been to the Oscars mm-hmm. or done anything like that. Mm-hmm. And when you step out... There's all this glamour and all these paparazzi and all this. Right, and right. I remember looking over the the what what is that thing? The red thing that they have in museums, the cord, oh, the, rope. the rope. Oh yeah. I mm-hmm. remember looking over the rope and seeing my friends. You know, like I was on the other side of uh-huh. the rope. Uh huh. Uh huh. You know, but I never thought that I was there for me. I thought mm-hmm. that I was there because Marvin had done things that were exceptional when he was being recognized mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. So I never, I never ever really thought that that was my world as much as it was I was sharing his world with him. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. But you were playing along the way. I mean, if, if you seem after 20 years of marriage that you're still newlyweds, yeah. Yeah, there's there's that spark. That definitely, that never died. I mean, everybody, planes, restaurants, islands, vacations. They, I mean, we got more free champagne because people thought we were just married. That is so fun. And listen, I just have to ask. You know, I, I saw you on the American Master Special talking about 
how he had music going through his head mm. all the time. Mm. So we know with prodigies this often happens, but he would grab napkins. He would dra- grab a bar of soap and start to write down musical ideas for a new project. I mean, you had to be careful not to throw anything away, right? It's so true because what it's he used to say to me, this is a blessing and a curse. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Because he knew that he was given a gift, but music notes ran through his head 24-7. So when somebody was talking to him, you would think that he wasn't paying attention, but it was always underscored. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. when I was speaking to him, I was speaking, but there were always notes. They never left other people go crazy. They never left his head. Mm-hmm. So he, sometimes mm-hmm. he would sit on the edge of the bed and he would hold his head and say, you know what, this is a gift, but it's also a curse. Wow. Okay. Because there's times I think he wanted a break. Yeah. So let's say you go for a massage and somebody's playing music. He couldn't have that music because mm-hmm. he already had the music in his head. There's a lot of music going on 24-7. Wow. Because, it went, because it went at such a rapid rate mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. his head, given the resonance of, of this, you know, the way that we move or think, mm-hmm. it went through his head so quickly that he would always retain it. But yes, it's true. I went into the bathroom and I went, "Uh uh-oh, there's a bar of soap and it had notes from um, his symphonic work, Anatomy of Peace. Oh, wow. Um, And he would be on a plane and all of a sudden you'd see the napkins flying and... Mm -hmm. Because yeah, it, it was coming upon him very, and he had to get it, it down. But it came through very quickly. And I think that's why some geniuses go mad a yeah, little bit. Exactly, because, exactly. because it's hard to handle something coming through your brain from a better, a greater mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that I've never thought of that I just thought of here, mm. which is, is that I, 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 you know, people told me and I read books on geniuses and doctors gave me books and things. But the one thing I realized was how lucky am I to live with a genius mm. with, yeah. with the energy and with everything else. It's not always easy. Because a lot of times he would go very, 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 very fast, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he would wait for the rest of us to to, to catch, catch up. up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very frustrating. And I think that can also cause, if you look at Beethoven or somebody like that, I mean, I didn't know Beethoven, but I'm imagining that a lot of the anger and the frustration of geniuses has been because they're trying to express themselves at a rate that, you know, he says, okay, well, I think this theater will be good on whatever. And then he waits for everybody in the room to catch up. And two weeks later, they're saying yes, because that theater. They're just getting it. Yes. But this is the problem with like the young Mozart, you know, and structurally it's getting it on the paper, on the computer nowadays. I mean, it's not fast enough. You're absolutely right. Mm, It's a different pace. So living with it. I remember that when he died, I thought people are talking slowly. Everything seems oh to be gosh. slow. It was really an adjustment for me because I, I realized that I was talking faster yeah. Yeah. and that I was thinking. And so after he died, it not only did it become not, you know, his humor was gone. So I wasn't laughing as much. I wasn't as funny as I thought I was delusional. And, but but with him, <laughs> I've, I felt the whole world slowed down. It was just a slower pace. Kind of like wow. the beautiful mind. It's like going mm-hmm. into... Going into someone's mind, though he was well aware it was a gift. He was well aware. But he was also well aware that it could be a curse. But, you know, it's it's not usual that a genius like that has the kindness on the flip side. Oh. You know, they're usually caught up in themselves. So you you had the mixed bag. You had perfection, Terry. I mean, oh, really. He, he'd he laugh if he heard you say that. He'd go, oh, I don't know about that. The yeah, socks yeah, on, the, yeah. on the floor. Um <laughs> 
He, yes, because I think being a good person to him, there was a, a, a something he gave at the National Arts Club um, towards the end of his life where he said, I finally get what my wife's been trying to say all this time, which is it's not exactly always if the perfect note is hit, is hit in something because he was raised through Juilliard and right. it was about the perfect note. Right, right. But he said it's, it's also about did that singer fly? Exactly. Very far away. Mm-hmm. Did that mm-hmm. singer give up something? Mm-hmm. Did that singer, you know, the the life part mm-hmm. of it and the generosity is equal. Mm-hmm. I've just got to ask you quickly, and, and we'll talk about the details about the, uh, the upcoming concert. But if Marvin, you know, I love these ideas, you know, like in The Flying Dutchman, where if someone is allowed to come back on Earth, mm. if he was allowed to come back to you one day, mm. What would you say to him? It's a great question. I think that's the best question anyone's asked me since he died. Wow. Oh, if he could come back one day, I've always wished that. You know, where you have those dreams where you're thinking, you know, when you're sitting in the summer and you say, gosh, just come back one day. If he would come back one day, I would tell him how much I love him, how much I miss him, how mm. much he meant to me. Um, you know, I'm sorry I said that about the socks on the floor. <laughs> Um, you know, and all the irritating little things spouses say about the other one, you know, and and I, I would say I get you more now than I ever have. Oh, and I that's love you fantastic. more now than I ever have that because your death taught me more about who you were. Now I'm going to cry. Don't cry. And now then you would too would laugh and you would yes. have your champagne. Yes. I've, I've just got to say, Terry Blair Hamlish, you, you are as special as the legacy of your husband, Marvin Hamlish. You have a glow about you that seems to be fueled by love. And I know that there will be a lot of love on that stage this uh, on, on Saturday, September 28th, which is my birthday, folks. Oh, see? Happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. And the Stanford <laughs> Symphony, the Palace Theater at 7 p.m. Go to stanfordsymphony.org for more information about this fantastic evening. Um, what can I say, Terry? You you are a force. Oh, I, well, that's very kind. I'm not sure about that, but I do want people to come because we're celebrating his 75th birthday. That's right. And to be very clear, the symphony is actually not playing. We're raising money for the symphony, okay. which is what Marvin believed in. And what um, he would have wanted. Yes, because mm-hmm. Connecticut, they, they're very lucky to have Russell Jones, first of all. He's that's an right. amazing, He's amazing uh, guy. And they're very lucky to have the quality of the Stanford Symphony. That's right. And if we start taking these things for granted, we're going to have a decline of cultural civilization, at least. That's right. And people don't realize how important that is. Mm. And I think that they take it for granted or they think it's something. This is important. And Kevin Cole is an amazing pianist. And our vocalists are to die for. And Marissa was the lead of his last musical he wrote, Nutty Professor. See, that's the connection. So you're talking about what, what you're right about there's going to be heart in, Stan, in, in mm-hmm. Stanford that night is mm-hmm. you're talking about people that knew him, yep. people that loved him, and you're also going to have a glimpse in film of childhood. Um, these are all pictures from him, mm-hmm. you know, it, things that people haven't seen that right now are in the Library of Congress with all of oh, his Oscars and everything fantastic. else. So you get a, you get a real um, you get a real intimate glimpse of Marvin and also the beautiful music that's being done by these incredible people. But heart, there will be a lot of heart. And we have like a couple amazing auction items for the symphony so that we can support the arts in Connecticut. That's right. It's it's all about that. And there's the love. 
Terry Blair Hamlish, thank you for being on thank Center you Stage. For oh my me. gosh, You're the one that's and, amazing. And Don Sibley, you are wonderful <laughs> you for your are support. Most <laughs> it's been my joy. This is Pamela Kuhn, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage. <laughs>